Genesis 44. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who is found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, 
Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother come down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us, will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said... If I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here, quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace and Joseph, that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, Do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also instructed to tell them, Do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. 
But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew, for reading that for us with um, such understanding. It helps us a lot. What a great story uh, it is. We're going to be focusing in on chapter 44 and the first part of chapter 45 in particular. But let's pray for the Lord's help as we, we come to it together. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, moving story. Uh, but we know it's not just a story, that, that you stand behind it all. And you have things to teach us this morning. Please would you encourage our hearts and help us to be good learners of what you would have us know. In Jesus' name, amen. Regrets. I guess um, we, all, we all have them. I know, I know we all have them. Uh, and uh, the, the problem with regrets is it stops us uh, living our lives with... Um, Love and joy and hope even. They're a big problem. And, and the longer you live, the longer you live, the more regrets you have. And therefore, the harder it is to live with joy and love and hope. I know there are a few of our uh, YP joining us today, in this room and next room and online. Uh, their leaders are having a bit of a break. And um, well, some of them, how old are, how old are you? 11? 14, maybe there's a few of the older youth group here today, 16 maybe, uh, and as you look at, back at your life, you don't think about it much, but you've already got regrets. You've already done some things which you really wish you didn't do, hadn't done. And here's the news, it's only going to get worse. The longer you live, the more regrets you're going to have. I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? Those of you who are no longer 14, one or two of you here, how many regrets have you got? I mean, what's it going to be like when you get to 40 or 50 or 60 or, or 70 and you look back and see all of these things? And not only do you have more regrets, but you have bigger regrets as well, because the longer you live, the greater your capacity to do evil to other people. We get particularly good at doing evil to others as well, and so you have more regrets, and you have bigger regrets as you go through life. And it's such a joy killer. And, and there's, there's those times in your life, you rush through life, but there's those times when you, when you stop and you suddenly think to yourself, what kind of person have I become? What kind of person would do the, the kind of stuff that I've done or think the kind of things that I've thought or said the kind of things that I've said? What kind of person am I? And that can be really distressing to realize that. And, and actually, you can become infuriated with yourself that, that things have ended up the way they've ended up. It's, it's a real problem for all people. Uniquely, Christianity speaks into this and has a, a solution for it all. And it's here in the story of 
Joseph. And it's even clearer in the, the story which the Joseph story points to, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got this um, marvellous, fascinating book of, well, 66 books written by lots of different authors over a, a long period of time. But, but actually, we know that it is one book written by God him, himself with one overarching story. And that story is not easy to come to terms with. It's, it's complex. Uh, but God wants us to understand it. And so what he's, he's done is he's set, set up the, all of these sketches in the Old Testament in particular. And as we come into the New Testament, he, he fills in those sketches with color. And as we come and look at the Joseph story, we have, we have a sketch or sometimes called a type, of Jesus Christ. There are lots of things about Joseph which speak to us about Christ. I mean, he's not like Christ in every way, but there are some ways in which he is like Christ. And as we come into the New Testament, all of the full technicolor detail is filled in, and we begin to understand a little bit more. And so as we come to this story and we look into it as if it were a mirror... We're not to see, looking back at us, Joseph, as if we're him. No, Joseph is the picture of Christ in this story. Actually, what we are to see in this story, if anyone is the brothers looking back at us, we're, we're much more like them. Christian believer, there is one point that I want you to take away from this morning. I believe the Spirit wants us to take away, and it's this. Your past is no impediment to God's plans for your future. Your past is no impediment to God's plans for your future. That's the the point. And so however many regrets, however big the regrets we have in our lives, well, we don't need to be distressed or angry with ourselves. We can live with hope, joy, and love. And this is really a message that God's people need, isn't it? Don't you need this message? Uh, The people of Moses' time, Moses wrote wrote Genesis, they needed to hear this message. When they were in the wilderness, they mucked up time and time again. And they needed to, to hear this. They were no doubt distressed with themselves, especially when they went into the land later on. Remember the time of the judges? They kept mucking it up. They kept sinning against God, turning away from him. It no doubt caused them huge distress and anger at themselves. God restored them. They messed it up again. God restored them. They messed it up again. And that eventually, of course, led to their exile. Their sin was so great that God kicked them out of the the land. And there they are in exile, probably, as um, they they read this, this account. And they're thinking, well, we've messed it up. There's, there's no future. God's future has been derailed. And the brothers, of course, Joseph's brothers, you know, they look back at their history, what they've done to Joseph, sending him in to slavery, and um, they're be- becoming increasingly distressed and angry at themselves. They're thinking, is there any hope? And Moses writes this to say, yes, there is. There's hope. So we join the story at chapter 44. And Joseph is putting his brothers through the ringer. 
He's laid down all these tests for them. He wants to know whether in their hearts they recognize what it is they've done wrong. And he, he wants to know whether there's any remorse in their hearts and whether there's any repentance. He needs to know that before there can be this reconciliation. And all the way through the story, we, we see the brothers growing in their distress at themselves and their anger at themselves. Now, we need to remember, of course, they don't know that Joseph is Joseph. <laughs> he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Minus a beard, clothes, Egyptian, 13 years in it, between it. They don't recognize him. And so he's testing them. And in chapter 44, we come to this third and final test. And we might be thinking, well, three tests? I mean, is this a little bit over the top? Surely um, one test will be all right. Or definitely two tests will be all right. But we need to remember that what they've done to Joseph is huge. They've sold him into slavery, their own brother, into slavery. And so... They need to know whether they, he needs to know whether he can trust them. And uh, we need to do that. If someone's wronged us in a big, big way, if our, if our friend has done the dirty on us in some way or let us down or a business partner has stitched us up or betrayed us in some way, well, you better make sure that you can trust them before you trust them. And you've got to work out a way to test whether or not you can trust them. And that's what Joseph is doing. He's figuring out if he can really trust his brothers. And so he, he's been setting them these tests. First of all, we looked at last week, the, the silver or simian test. Do, do they value silver, cash, more than their brother Simeon? And the brothers passed. And he set them another test. Secondly, um, they'd succumbed to the jealousy that their father had shown to him. And so he sets up a parallel situation and he shows favoritism to, to Benjamin. It's the, it's the jealousy or joy test. Are they going to be rejoicing that um, Benjamin is being treated well or are they going to be envious and bitter and, and jealous? Once again, they pass with flying colors. And so now we come to the third test here in chapter uh, 44. And this test really sharpens the first two tests. Again, it's do they value a brother, still Benjamin, but do they value him more than their own freedom? It's the family or freedom test. So, chapter 44. Joseph instructs his steward to plant a silver cup in Benjamin's sack. The brothers leave Egypt, but shortly into their journey, they see the flashing lights in the background. They're pulled aside to the side of the road, and they are accused of thievery. They vehemently deny it. So sure are they of their innocence, they say, if anyone's found with a cup, you can kill them and you can enslave the rest of us. They know that they are innocent. Well, the steward says, well, let's, hang on guys, let's not go over the top, let's keep things in perspective here. I'll just enslave the guilty one. And so the sacks are, are split open. Grain comes out with the, with the silver, beginning with the oldest, working its, their way down through to the youngest. And then verse 12, the cup was found 
in Benjamin's sack. Now you have to remember here that, that Benjamin, he's not a full brother, he's, he's a half-brother, just like Joseph was. And the question is, are they going to abandon him? Is it going to be their freedom or their family? Half-brother. And uh, the brothers make an encouraging response, at least to start with. They, they refuse to um, uh, abandon him. They, they go back to Egypt. They load up their donkeys and they go back uh, to Egypt. They don't throw him under the bus, in other words. And as the brothers get back to Egypt, again, they, remember, they don't really know who Joseph is. They come into Joseph pres- Joseph's presence and they throw themselves at Joseph's feet. They know it's uh, set up. They know that this cup has been planted. They know that they're innocent. But look at what they say to Joseph in verse 16. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Take us as slaves. Joseph declines, says, I'm going to keep Benjamin And the rest of you can go back to to dad in peace. And what's happened here is that Joseph has recreated the original situation. When he was enslaved, the youngest brother was enslaved, as he was at the time. And they're able to go back to dad with sacks of cash. The difference, of course, is that this time they've got the perfect excuse, of course, They've got the perfect excuse. Will they, will they take it, family or freedom? And at this point, Judah steps up. And he, he becomes the leader of the family at this point. That's, quite an, that's an important point we will come back to in future weeks. And he represents the family. And he basically says, well, us, us brothers are, are going to stay here with Benjamin. We're not abandoning him. And then uh, he he engages in this speech with Joseph, which comes to the great crunch and turning point in in verse 33. It's the great turning point of of the story. When Judah offers himself in place of Benjamin. You might remember, when he, he was the guy who suggested that they sold Joseph in the first place. He was that guy. He was the guy who, who just did not care about his dad and what he might think about it. But in this particular speech, he mentions his dad 14 times and then offers to substitute in place of this brother. In other words, Judah's heart has been completely changed at this point. And though Judah isn't the Christ figure in this in this story, that's Joseph, Judah is Christ-like. There's been a Christ-like change in his heart. So verse 33, he says, Now then, please let your servant, i.e. me, remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I possibly go back to my father if the boy isn't with me? No, he pleads with him. Don't let misery come on my, on my father. Test number three. Past. 
And so as we come into chapter 45, at last, Joseph realizes that he can unmask himself. And he can no longer control himself. And so he cries out and dismisses all of his uh, attendants. And he is alone with his brothers. There they are, the 11, the 11 of them there. Here's Joseph. He's, think of all the power this, this man has, the power of life and death over these brothers. And there they are, alone. The tension of this moment is unbelievable. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Unbelievable. And there are the brothers, and they're, they're just saying, what on earth have we done individually? What on earth have we done? To, how could we possibly have sold our brother? What kind of people have we become? We're guilty. Perhaps it's been eating at them over months and years eating at them. And they, they're just thinking, we're going to get our comeuppance now. We're, we're getting everything we deserve. And then, at this point, Joseph just says, I am Joseph. You can imagine the the brothers at this point thinking, no, surely not. Can't be. Maybe it is him. Maybe it's our brother. And you can imagine them beginning to, to tremble and, and to just go into a panic at this point. This man has the power of life and death over them. And they, are, they can't say anything. And at this point, Joseph, crying like a baby, says, boys, it's man-hug time. Come close to me. I am your brother, Joseph. Wow. And I think at what we discover at this particular point in the story is that despite all of the tests that he's put them through, there is no cruelty in Joseph's plans. No cruelty whatsoever. And for you and I, some of us will be going through some tough tests at the moment, I know. For you and I, we can know that whatever those tests are, that what God is doing in our life is he might be revealing our hearts to us to see whether we really trust him or not. And he is certainly wanting to refine our hearts as well. But we can know this for certain, there is no cruelty, not one ounce of cruelty in our God and his plans for us. Now, I don't want us to, to rush on beyond this uh, scene too quickly because as we look at the picture of Joseph, we are also given a picture of Christ's love for his brothers and sisters, for all who believe. And his love is shown in the way he spared them, 
the way he spoke to them, and in what he says to them. First, he spares them. He spares them uh, distress. Notice he, he threw everyone else out because, well, he was going to open up their wounds, but he didn't want everybody to see their wounds. He wanted to protect the brothers, to reduce their exposure. Just as Christ won't open up all of our wounds at the judgment. And notice that um, he spares them rebuke as well. He sees that they're trembling, but as, as he's opened up the wounds, he doesn't sort of pour on salt and give it a good rub in. No, not at all. I mean, he sees them trembling. He might have said, well, might you tremble? Do you know who I am? And God might do the same thing with us, but no, he won't. Just as Joseph spared them, Christ spares his children at the judgment. Notice that he spares them. Note, second here, the way he spoke to them. He says, Come close to me. It's personal. You know, sometimes we think that the Christian gospel is, is, is a series of cogs and you just need to turn the crank and you get forgiven at the end of it. No, no, no. The Christian gospel is deeply personal. Jesus Christ says, come close to me. And he reiterates here, Joseph, I am your brother, Joseph. Come close to me, the one whom you sold. And you notice that Joseph doesn't hide their wrongdoing, their wickedness, their their sin, but he doesn't punish them for it. By mentioning it, he kind of, it's as if he's, taking out his weapon and putting it on the table and and leaving it there. He's saying, look, I'm not going to bring this up and punish you in the future. Hasn't God done that for us when his son was nailed to that cross? Didn't he get out that weapon that he had against us and not only lay it on the table, but inflicted it upon himself so it couldn't ever be wielded against you? He spares them. He spoke to them. And then thirdly, notice his love chiefly in what he says to them. And this is the main point of the story. Here you have the main character of the story, giving the main point of the story. And and we know that because he says it three times. Verse 5. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because... It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And verse 8. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And here we have the main point of the story from the main character And he says it three times, and it is so comforting for the brothers, so comforting for anyone who is distressed or 
tempted to become angry at themselves because of who they've become and what they've done in the past. These words speak to us. Wonderful comfort. Wonderful. Joseph says, he begins, it wasn't you who sent me to Egypt, but he adds, it was God who sent me to save you. It wasn't you. Joseph isn't um, excusing them. He's not pretending, them that, pretending that they didn't do something that was evil. They clearly did. What he's saying is that it was not only you who sent me here. There's someone else at work here. There was um, a hidden hand that you couldn't see that was working. It was God who was at work. And your sin is no impediment to his plans. Perhaps you're conscious of a, a time in the past when you sinned. We call it letting ourselves down sometimes. Uh, Maybe you were trying to witness for Jesus and you made a complete mess of it. Uh, Maybe you were in a situation where everyone knows you're a Christian and uh, you just brought disgrace upon the name of Jesus. And you just thought, maybe they're Eternity, their eternity, think about that for a moment. Maybe that has been affected because of what I said, because of what I did, did. And as you look in the mirror, you see, looking back, Judah. Maybe you've wronged somebody. Maybe you've abused somebody in some way. Maybe you've been involved in some kind of pagan, anti-God kind of practice, or stolen, or deceived, or betrayed, all things which Judah did. And you say to yourself, you know that was just really inexcusable, what I did? It is irredeemable what I did. Wrong. Completely and utterly wrong. Your theology is completely wrong. Completely. It was not you, but it was God. Joseph says, when you sold me, God was at work. He was the one who was putting grain in your sacks. He was bringing about his salvation for you and for many. God was using your wickedness to further his plans And what a great comfort that is for sinners. Yes, we need to recognize our wrongdoing. Yes, we need to have remorse. Yes, we need to repent. But God says to us, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Because I am working in you. I am working through you. And you cannot even begin to imagine what I can do, even through the evil that you have done. I recognize the talk of God as governor makes us uh, a bit jumpy, even good people a bit jumpy sometimes. The Bible 
is very plain that God is the sovereign one. He is in charge of all things, all things. And I know that, that raises some really profound questions which we'll come back to in, in chapter 50. And I know that those questions are taken by those who, who hate Christ and hate Christianity and they're weaponized and uh, they're used against us. I know that. But just observe at this point the, the, the subtle and delicate picture that the Joseph story gives us about this, how it illustrates it. Because Joseph was sold, but for what reason? Well, from the brother's point of view, the reason was because they wanted to do away with him. It was an evil act. From God's point of view, it's because he wanted to save. It was a wonderfully good act. Now, I know there are questions. We'll come back to some of them. But I just wanted to see that the same action is used or intended, is intended for a different outcome, either for evil or by God for good. And we see this same dynamic at work in the cross of Jesus Christ. You remember what Peter stood up on, on the day of Pentecost and said to, to, to those who were listening. He said this, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you listeners, that is, yep, them, for those who were there, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. In other words, wicked people put Jesus on the cross for wicked reasons. But God stood behind it all for salvation. It is, do you see the parallel with the Joseph story? It's impossible to miss, isn't it? Well, knowing, believing, and accepting all of this is critical if we want to live lives of love and joy and hope. It's absolutely critical if we don't want to live with distress and anger at ourselves. As we look at ourselves and we, or look around and we see human evil, or look at ourselves and we see evil in our past, your past presents no impediment to God's plan for your future. None at all. How can you know that? Well, because of Joseph and because of Jesus. You've done some terrible things, and I know that because I'm like you. And you've got things which when you look back, you are distressed and angry, and you say to yourself, I am guilty but if you want to have hope in your life, you need to listen to the one who says, I am Jesus. Come close to me. I am your brother, Jesus. And don't be distressed at yourself. Don't be angry at yourself. This was part of God's deliberate plan. Every test you face in your life is part of God's deliberate plan for your future. You see evil all around, evil in your heart, distressing evil, evil that angers you. 
Evil that needs to be recognized and repented of, yes. But know and believe and accept this. Your past presents no impediment to God's plan. No impediment to God's plan for your future. Let's take a moment to reflect on that news. And uh, in a minute or two, the musicians will sing that great song, To God Be the Glory.